This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hi, Blue Wire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with Blue Wire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. More in motion. They get it to him. More in space. A burst of speed. A first down for Purdue. He's still going. More. Touchback. Touchdown. Welcome back to Prospects 101, the show where we break down football prospects from all levels, high school, college transfers, college recruiting, and NFL prospects. As always, Prospects 101 is brought to you by our great partners and big supporters of the show, Blue Wire Pods and Bet Online. Remember, you can interact with Prospects 101 on all social media accounts, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Prospects101Pod. I'm Kenny Keller, and today I'm joined by Brandon Pastel. What's up, everybody? You know what? One thing, Kenny, that I've been noticing as I've been breaking more and more prospects down as conferences go on is that I fall in love with so many prospects. And right now I feel like I've got second to first round grades on like 60 players. <laughs> like, I think I'm, I'm overhyping players as I'm like watching them on YouTube or watching their, their film that we get, um, Alt-20 film. So it's, it's just crazy to think like, man, either next year's draft is that that stacked, or I'm just I'm I'm buying into some of the hype on some. You of these guys. you do you do you do tend to crush hard. You tend to fall hard on players. That's for sure. I think you uh, <laughs> I think you more so than Gless and I. But I think we're all three guilty of it. I think once you watch, especially their highlights, man, it's tough not to watch someone's highlights and then have a negative opinion of them because it's their best plays. Like oh, yeah, for sure. You know, you, there's no there's not you, there's not a lot of YouTube videos of hey look at these negative plays by Michael Parsons or hey look at these negative plays by Nico Collins like it just it doesn't That's why, exist. Like, you got to just watch the full game and then you really yeah. get the full perspective on it and really got to watch the best opponents that they play not you know like the Eastern Illinois of the of the year the the conference um, yeah watch them play Penn State you got to watch them play Ohio State and really figure out where they rack and stack uh, from that kind of competitive level. Yeah, and you know, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent. You know what this has been creating? I think between the three of us, it's been creating like a—I don't want to say a rivalry, but it's—it's it's creating like 
players we're all going to root on in the season because we want to be proven right that, like, hey, I told you this guy was better than the guy you said he was better than and so forth and so forth and so right. forth. Like, so, like Tanner Morgan better be better than Brock Purdy because I'm all in on Tanner Morgan over Brock Purdy, and I think a lot of people disagree with me on that. Yeah, or and so forth, exactly. So it's 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 basically just creating, like, a new fandom for us because now we're going to be watching individual. And you know we're going to be texting each other throughout the, like, Saturday and be like, hey, did you see what my guy did? Look at that. Told you. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, oh, your guy threw four picks today. I told you he's a loser. Da, da, da. <laughs> yeah, right. Be, yeah, it's, it's definitely creating a whole nother, uh, a whole nother uh rivalry between all three of us but that being said today is prospect day for big 10 we're breaking down the best prospects in the big 10 and this is our big 10 preview week as we get closer to the start of college football season and let's jump right into it and today we have the opening coin flip the question is who is the best draft eligible prospect outside of justin fields in the big 10 pastel why don't you kick us off I'm assuming you say that because we all know Justin Fields is probably going to be a top three pick, and then it's everybody else, right? Correct, yes. Okay, yeah. So, man, it's pretty tough. I think it's a three- or four-headed race between, I'd imagine, Micah Parsons, Sean Wade, Rashad Bateman, Rondell Moore, maybe Wyatt Davis up there. So maybe a five-headed race. I'd Mm -hmm. I'd probably go Sean Wade uh, just from the aspect of, one, he's been the best corner uh, slot corner, probably in college football the last year or two. I mean, think about this. He only allowed seven first downs on 241 cover snaps last year. Like, that mm-hmm. is unbelievable. And I think the thing about the slot position that I've talked about in other segments is that there, you have a lot more of those X receivers, the six foot four or six foot three guys like uh, Julio Jones or Michael Thomas in the NFL. They're not just playing on the outside, they are going into the slot. And you can't just put a five foot nine guy that you're used to putting as a slot corner you have to put a bigger guy on that and that's what Sean Wade is he has that size he's like six foot or six foot one a bigger guy can go down to the box and actually lay look but he's aggressive he doesn't get a he's got smooth back pedal but he doesn't get too aggressive is what I'm saying like he doesn't overcommit. he's just very patient I would argue he would have way more interceptions and a few more pass breakups if he, he could just turn his head around sometimes because he's always there where the ball is He's one of the best pure corners that we have. The question is, can he play the outside? He's only played the slot, and that's no discredit to him. I mean, he had two all-world talents in front of him, in Akuda and Arnett, uh, that got drafted in the first round last year. So, and he was a sophomore. So, put this guy. He's gonna be a junior. Put him in uh, the outside. If he can play the outside, we've already seen his ability to like follow a receiver all around the field as far as uh, when they motion so forth. So, if he can put it on the outside, and you can prove that he can play outside inside and move him across the entire field I mean that's a cornerbacks are always uh, prioritized anyways but when you get a corner like this that can play all over the field and he played some safety as a freshman I believe as well mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you that is just so much more valuable it's like a running back like Christian McCaffrey that can catch the ball like yeah you have a great running back but he can also catch it it's like man that's a whole different variable that you don't have you're normally in three down running backs or you know your bigger uh, time running back so Translate that to the defensive side. I think Sean Wade, he's a all-star type of talent. The biggest question mark with him is can he play the outside? I would argue to an extent that if he can't play the outside, he's still a top five, 15 pick uh, for his ability to play against the corner or the slot corner, or sorry, the slot uh, wide receiver position. 
Yeah, except the the one big matchup he's had in the slot the past two years was against Purdue in 2018, and all slot receiver Rondell Moore did was go for 12, 170, and two touches against him. But I I think uh, I, I mean I think he's a good prospect. I don't think he's elite by any means, but I. I I do think this is a very pivotal year for him because if he does prove that he can play outside, um, and, and obviously minus the blip on the radar in 2018, which he was a freshman, so I guess you can give him a little bit of a pass, but Rondell Moore was also a freshman that year. Um, but, you know, you give him, other than that blip on the radar, he's been really good, like you said, and if he can play outside, that's going to be another feather in his cap and will definitely boost his draft stock. Um, for me, I chose Micah Parsons, man. The guy's only been really playing linebacker for two years. He was a running back in, in high school. He's super athletic. He can play at all three levels. He can rush the passer. He can he can stop the run at the linebacker position. He's got great instincts. He can drop back into coverage, and he can even drop back into deep coverage and play in the secondary almost. Like, he's that dynamic of a playmaker. He's basically Isaiah Simmons. What Isaiah Simmons did last year is what Micah Parsons did. And if you if – you, if you need proof of that, go watch the bowl game last year from Memphis where he was the MVP, and I think he had like 14 tackles, uh, two sacks, a pick. I think he dropped like two interceptions. I mean, he was all over the field. This guy can absolutely change games with what he does at the linebacker position. There's nothing that he can't do, and he's still getting better. Like, he's still – learning how to play the position. He's a he's kind of a raw player. And for someone who's that dynamic, who was an All-American last year, I, I mean, I think the sky's the limit for him. If Justin Fields wasn't in the Big Ten this year, Micah Parsons would hands down be the best prospect in the Big Ten, and it wouldn't even be close. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, Micah Parsons, yeah, I agree. He's probably the best player in the Big Ten outside of Justin Fields. But we're talking about a person getting drafted higher I mean, think about this, but, like, you only see one or two linebackers really go every year in their first round. They're just not highly sought after because you look at a lot of formations these days, sometimes they're only playing two linebackers at a time. I mean, very rarely do you even see three linebackers out there, especially after first down. It's just not a thing. You see more five-set corners out there than you do three-set linebackers. So I think just the emphasis of the linebacker position is no fault to him, even though I would argue Isaiah Simmons is more of a – defensive back in the sense like he's a linebacker obviously uh but he could also play you know pretty good safety kind of even that slot corner like I was just talking about even that six foot four Micah Parsons is definitely more of a linebacker like he's absolutely a purebred linebacker with that with an extra ability to go out in coverage uh and he's going to show that pure speed and athleticism at the combine I'm sure so I would say he's more of a pure linebacker compared to Isaiah Simmons which I don't know which one you actually value more because you could probably play Isaiah Simmons more all through the whole entire secondary, where I would argue Mike Parsons is purely just a linebacker, which I think might devalue him just a, just a tad. Even though I think he's a better player than Sean Wade, I think Sean Wade gets drafted higher because, I mean, it's not crazy to see six corners get drafted in the first round where in comparison there's probably only two linebackers if, getting drafted. And by could, the way, that, that Memphis film is probably the best linebacker film you'll see in college football last year. But – that was not saying that was just one game, but that was his game. Like, absolutely, he was a star of that game. That wasn't game in, game out. Like that was his best game all year last year. If Micah Parsons didn't rush the passer as well as he did, I would probably agree with you. But he also had five sacks last year from the inside linebacker position. So I think the fact that you could that yeah you might he, they might pull some of these linebackers off 
the field on third down or even after first down. But he's the guy you're going to keep on the field because you'll have him, you know, in your base package at middle linebacker, and then you, he can play outside linebacker and not miss a not miss a step. He'll either drop in zone or you'll rush him at, rush him at the passer. So I think the fact that he can be a Swiss Army knife on defense will keep him on the field all three downs. I think he's a guy who's just inevitably going to play 98% of the snaps in the NFL and just be super, super productive. Yeah, I mean, he, he, yeah, the guy's a stud, and I think this is kind of just already talking about what's from sure we're going to get more into the show is how deep the, the talent is for the yeah. 20, uh, 2021 NFL yeah. draft at, at, uh, in the Big Ten. I mean, we're talking about two or three guys. We didn't even talk about Justin Fields. We're talking about two or three guys that can be picked in the top ten, so it's yeah. crazy. I think – so, obviously, there's no third host today. Uh, Gless is still on vacation in Seattle. Normally, we would have one – you know, whoever the host of the show is – pick a winner but since we don't have that today and obviously we'd, we'd probably both vote for ourselves uh though brain if you want to vote for me i promise scouts honor i won't vote for myself um <laughs> to to winner for the winner of the opening coin flip but we're going to leave it to our social media so we're going to pose the question on twitter and instagram and for those who are listening to this show go ahead and vote it'll be in our instagram story of who won the opening coin flip, myself, Kenny, or Pastel. And then they'll also be on Twitter as a poll. So make sure to vote and so we can let us know who won the opening coin flip for this show. Now, moving – You need to tell Cluster to get his priorities straight, though, man. Like, he needs to start prioritizing us over yeah. his now newly fiancé. I know. We're on Zoom. He could have <laughs> at least called in. He could have at least called in and, and at least listened to the opening argument, the, the, the opening, the coin flip, and voted on it and then hung up. It's, it's honestly, it's kind of selfish by Gless, to be honest. So, it's kind of disrespectful. It's very disrespectful. <laughs> I get on here, right before we get on the show, I get on Instagram. I see him posting pictures of him and Caitlin at, like, the base of Mount Rainier. And he's like, photos don't do it justice. I'm like, you know what else doesn't do it justice? Not having our third host to, to pick the winner of the opening coin flip. That's what do it, doesn't do it justice. <laughs> Just kidding, Glass. We love you. I hope you're having fun. But anyway. Thank you, Caitlin. Yeah. Anyway, the uh, – the Big Ten is normally known for offensive linemen and running back prospects on offense. You know, generally when you think of the Big Ten, you think of big, beefy O linemen, and you think of great running back prospects through the years. But 2020 is is turning out to be the year of the receiver in the Big Ten, with probably the greatest crop of wide receivers top to bottom in, in the conference, and probably in history, but definitely in a long, long time. So what I want to know, Brandon, is who are your top ten wide receivers in the conference? And give me a breakdown of one of those ten. Okay, yeah. So this is a very deep class, obviously. And I think I have been a big fan of this guy probably since we started this show. And so my number one guy is going to be Rashad Bateman from Minnesota. My number two guy, it's crazy because we're going to talk about him a little bit later. It's Rondell Moore, who I think is the second best player. He was injury, uh, injured last year quite a bit, but he was a All-American talent his freshman year. Uh, third, I've got Amir Smith-Marset, who we talked about and highlighted last Show from Iowa, I think this guy is the real deal. And this is one of those guys you just can't look at his stats. you got to watch his game tape and realize that this guy, you get him in a system that can actually throw the football, he's going to be big time. Like he was going to be big time in the NFL. Also at the kick returning position. Number four, I think this guy, Chris Olave from Ohio State, is this, he's about as above average as you can get. Like he's not great. I think, in any aspect of the game. But I think he's a plug-and-play kind of guy at the next level, and I think you know you're going to get six, 700 yards out of him, kind of like a TJ Huspenzada. Like, I mean, you would take that, right? And I think mm-hmm. you, you got to factor the fact that 
that he's that good, that talent's consistent for you, I think, year in, year out at the NFL level. So I think he's four for me. Watt Filer uh, from Indiana, this guy is dynamic. Um, and, you know, I think this guy – you know what? We'll break it down right now. Uh, so Watt uh, Filer from Indiana, this guy is extremely fast. He's kind of like a Rondale Moore, if you want to kind of compare him from a, a, height and stand, a height and size standpoint. He's probably about a 5'11", about a buck eighty. Um, he's extremely quick. He, he, I mean, he used to play running back, quarterback, I think wide receiver, defensive back, all of that in high school. Gets recruited to Indiana, and you can see all of that when he plays uh, wide receiver. Like when he gets the ball in his hand, immediately turns into a running back and starts like either trucking people or he has that balance that like you think he's going down two or three tackles in the same play, and he just keeps his balance, spins off people, and just keeps running it. I and mean, the guy is a phenomenal runner after catching the ball. Um, he's probably going to be a slot receiver. At the next level, I mean, if we're talking about stereotypical, you know, smaller guy, quick, gets in and out of his breaks very fast. He's a sharp route runner, and that's what you would like to see from a slot corner, kind of that Wells Walker kind of guy. And the other thing with him is Michael Penix. If this guy can stay healthy, we're talking about, I mean, arguably the he's, he's the third best quarterback, I think, in the Big Ten right now, mm-hmm. but has the potential to be the second best just if he can stay healthy, right? Like he would jump Tanner Morgan if the guy can put a healthy season together. And I think if you add him into the Indiana's offense, they lost, I think, two, their two other receivers. So Filer is the number one receiver for that team now. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to explode onto the scene. I think he's going to have about 1,400 yards. He had about 1,000 last year. I just think he's going to be a, he's such a dynamic player. He's going to get drafted probably in the late second, early third round pick. But I think he's another one of those guys that he's going to come in from day one and just be a dynamic player for you. And you have to get him on the field uh, his rookie year just because he's He's just so dynamic. He's going to score you touchdowns. He's going to be explosive. He's Again, he's kind of a poor man's Rondale Moore. I guess it's probably easy comparison for him. But you don't hear about him a lot because he plays at Indiana. So number six, David Bell. I mean, this is just going to prove the fact that Purdue's offense with Brome there uh, leading the way, kind of calling the plays and everything. It's just going to be one of the most dynamic offenses mm-hmm. that we see in the Big Ten and absolutely one of the best wide receiving cores probably in all of the country. I mean, David Bell, he's 6'2", 210 pounds. His freshman year, he had 86 receptions, over 1,000 yards and seven TDs. Mm-hmm. I mean, does it sound familiar? Yeah, because it's kind of what Rondell Moore did his freshman year. So all these guys are coming back for Purdue, and, man, it's going to be a scary, scary combination. Number seven, Nico Collins from Michigan. He's one of those guys I wish I would have saw a little bit more production on the field, but he's that stereotypical X receiver. He's 6'4", 222 pounds, great deep threat, not great twitch, but I guess you kind of expect that at 6'4". Um, he caught 729 yards last year with seven TDs. Again, I mean, we'll see who's at, what the quarterback position looks like next year if Dylan McCaffrey can ascend to be that starter and help improve Collins' stock. I just don't see that happening. I think he's a he's a good receiver. He's a seven, he's number seven on my list, but I don't know if that offense is going to do him any favors to really help his draft stock uh, next year. My eighth guy, and I'm probably going to butcher his name from Illinois, but he's such a great talent, and that's Josh Immator. Behibi, I think that's how you pronounce it, uh, the wide receiver from Illinois. There's not a lot of positive things on Illinois, but he's definitely probably one of the, the, the bright spots, especially on that offense. Garrett Wilson from uh, Ohio State, he's a sophomore. He's going to be a dynamic player. I mean, that whole receiving core from a youth standpoint and with freshmen coming in, we're, like, we're going to talk about these guys in two years from now being like two or three guys going into the first round, kind of like we saw with Alabama this past year, and what we're going to see with Alabama next year again as well. So watch out for Ohio State uh, receivers. And then my last guy is going to be Johan Dotson, the wide receiver from Penn State. I think with K.J. Hamler now gone, 
I think with some a little bit more experience at that quarterback position uh, coming back and mm-hmm. a little bit more of a dynamic offensive coordinator coming there, I think Dotson's going to explode onto the scene and really be that number one receiver that we've been waiting for him to be at Penn State because he's such an athletic player. Now if that production can meet his athleticism, watch for him and his stock to uh, ascend this upcoming year. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you hit the nail right on the head there. Head there. There's this Big Ten is class is so deep. Like, not only we went over some guys who aren't necessarily eligible for the 2021 draft, but it would be criminal not to talk about David Bell when listing the top ten receivers in general in the Big Ten. I mean, it's such a stacked class of prospects for the next three or four years in the Big Ten, and, and it's going to be really incredible to see them watch. And it's really good for the Big Ten because it, it kind of helps shake the Big Ten up a little bit because forever it was known as a run-first, you know, pro-style type of, you know, conference. And then Urban Meyer got in there and kind of flipped the script in Ohio State. James Franklin's coming to Penn State, really opened up the offense. P.J. Fleck has done things to open up Minnesota. Uh, Kellen Kalen DeBoer, who's now the head coach at Fresno State, opened things up at Indiana. So we're really seeing a lot of offensive innovation finally take hold. Josh Gaddis in Michigan is the same way. Um, you know, we're seeing a lot of this this offensive revolution now hitting the Big Ten, and it's only just showing that what they've done recruiting is now catching up on offense, and it's re- it's really solidifying that they're the second best conference in college yeah, football. It- and quick side note on that, too, because to your point, the, the biggest thing with college football and these offensive philosophies and how they run these schemes and everything was the biggest hiccup was the NFL wasn't adapting these concepts for so long. It was your stereotypical 12 set or whatever you want to call it, but you have your six foot four quarterback that drops back, three step or five step trot back and throws it with a stereotypical X, Y, and Z receivers. So now that the NFL is adapting these concepts, there's I think it's absolutely a trend with one. You're seeing smaller quarterbacks now. Uh, adapting to the NFL, and you're also now seeing a whole new emphasis on the wide receiver mm-hmm. position. I mean, I think we're going to start seeing four or five, six wide receivers getting drafted when me and you, remember this three or four years ago, we're like, dude, there shouldn't be a receiver taken in the top 10 ever. Now I'm yeah. like, dude, you could argue two or three guys can go in the top 10 because I think there's a new emphasis on it at the NFL level. But that being said, Kenny, I mean, did you disagree with any of my guys? Or just, what, what, what's your top 10 look like, I guess? Um, I, I don't necessarily say I disagree with them. We have a couple guys in different positions, but I, it's not like a ton. So my number one guy I have is Rondell Moore. I mean, I, I'm i absolutely in love with Rondell Moore. As I mean, all he did as a freshman was lead the country in receptions with 114 receiving yards, 1,300 yards receiving, 12 touchdowns. Not only that, he had 200 yards rushing, two touchdowns, and then was a beast on special teams. He had over 2,000 yards uh, of total yards from scrimmage, I guess you could call or sorry, all-purpose yards. He was a, he was a consensus All-American, which means he was named in like every first-team All-American uh, list you could think of. He was the recipient of the Paul Horning Award. I mean, the guy just – won everything as a freshman. It was absolutely ridiculous. And the fact that he didn't win the Bolitnikoff Award is just shows how backwards college football award seasons are because they still don't reward the best players. They reward more juniors and seniors just because they view it as a career achievement. But in all intents and purposes, he was pretty much the best player in the country in 2018. Unfortunately, you know, he had a bad hamstring injury to start the season last year, and they ended up shutting him down just to, because of the new redshirt rule and, and to preserve a year of eligibility for him. Um, number two, Rashad Bateman, Minnesota. 
fantastic player. Number three, see, I had Nico Collins. I think Nico Collins was held, has been held back by the quarterback play at Michigan. I really, really like him. I think at the next level, he's going to be a tremendous player. He's six, like you said, he's six four two twenty two. Is a great deep threat. I think he's going to be able to really open up offenses at the next level. Uh, number four, I have David Bell. Uh, if he was eligible this year, he would still be my number four receiver with an arrow pointed up. And uh, whoever the quarterback is at Purdue this year, if he doesn't perform, that means he's a stinky quarterback because he's got probably the best receiving core in the country coming back with Rondell Moore and David Bell. I mean, I think only the only receiving core that you could probably argue might be better would be USC, and, and that still would, would fight you tooth and nail that Purdue is probably better than them. Uh, number five, I have Walt Filer from Indiana. Six, I have Chris Olave. Uh, number seven, I have Emir Smith-Marset. Number eight, Garrett Wilson out of Ohio State. And then number nine, I have – Josh Imator Behebe, and this is the guy I want to spotlight. Brandon, get ready. This guy is an absolute physical freak. Okay, for starters, he's 6'2", 215. You know, decent size for a receiver. He's not like anything we haven't seen before. But he has a 47.1-inch vertical the last time he was tested for it, and this was in high school. For, by the way, for the record, the for the for the record, the record at the NFL Combine is 47 on the dot. So if he does a 47.1 again when he's eligible for the NFL Combine, he'll break that record. And then so you take that his height at six two, you take that on average, an average on average a person of six two has a reach of 75 inches. Now I don't know for a fact if that's um, Josh's reach, but let's just go for argument's sake that he's an average person and it has a 75-inch reach at that height, and you take in his vertical, that gives him a catch radius of 15.9 feet. <laughs> he, he can almost jump up and catch a football at 16 feet, <laughs> what that means. That is That's, insane to me. Insane. Now, he tra- he was originally recruited to go to USC, a four-star out of high school, and he transferred and sat out a year, and now he's at Illinois. He had a decent season his first year last year, 33 receptions, 634 yards, with 19 yards a catch. Now, I, I-, I think he's someone you have to look past his production a little bit. Yes, Brandon Peters is a decent quarterback, but Illinois just does not have a very potent offense, and, there- and there's really no one else around him receiver-wise that helps take the pressure off him. I think this is a guy who will continue to play better with experience. He's not going to put up eye-popping numbers, but from a physicality standpoint, if he goes out to the combine and runs a sub-4-5, which I think he can because he ran a 4-4-8 as a, in a combine in high school, I think this guy is a guy who's going to absolutely blast up the charts as a workout warrior. And I think he's a guy you're going to look at, at one day in the NFL and go, man, how did we not see this coming? And it's because he played for Illinois, who is a very limited offense. You, he just doesn't have the highlights and the production to, and the opportunities to go along with it. But I think he's going to be a very, very interesting guy to watch and a, and a guy who could inevitably shoot up the boards faster than anybody in this list. And number 10, I have Jaden Reed. Jaden Reed has yet to play Big Ten football, but he was an absolutely – stud freshman at Central Michigan, absolutely tore the Mac up, transferred to Michigan State, had to sit out a year. But I really think that if he can show 
if he can translate what he did at Central Michigan at Michigan State, he's undoubtedly going to crack into the top ten, and this is another guy who I could see jumping a couple of these guys towards the tail end of, of the top ten for sure. I like that, man. I didn't even I totally forgot about Jaden Reed. I remember reading up on him. I don't know. I guess when we were doing uh, our preview, I remember just like quickly scheming over him. I mean, I, I didn't even think about him from an NFL prospect, but hey, touche on your research. Yeah. You know what? We talked about this earlier about you know us picking guys and that we're going to follow and, and root for now. And so ever since I've been doing research on Josh Imatora Bebebe, I, uh, I am now – I cannot wait to watch Illinois play in the fall. I'm so excited. I, I didn't, actually didn't know that he had those kind of measurables – until doing research for the show, and I was like, "Holy crap! I gotta watch this guy play now." Okay, just for just for perspective for the fans, man, because we talk about all these great things. I bet some fans are probably like, "Oh man, we just talked up like the best receiver ever, and we just talked about ten of them." So for perspective, I'm gonna go lightning, like round almost. I'm gonna say the receiver you just said. I want you to give me a round when they are eligible for the NFL draft, where they're gonna get drafted. Okay, Rondell, Rondell Moore first, Rashad Bateman first, Nico Collins. Second. David Bell. First. Watt Filer. Third. Chris Olave. Sixth. Smith Marset. Fourth. That's weird how you put him behind. So these are right now. Now, I think I, this is what I would have right now. But I you fully, project them. I'm yeah. projecting these guys to move, but until they actually either prove me right or prove me wrong in the season, I can't. It's hard for me to do that. But okay. This is, okay. This is where I think if if they if their seasons play out like I think they're going to play out, this is where I think that's where I think they're going to go. All right, Garrett Wilson. Second. Ooh, wow. Uh, okay, your like boy from Illinois. Uh, third. Okay, and then Jaden Reed. Fourth. That's crazy. It's kind of like a uh, a little bell curve. You talk about some of these guys in the middle, like you see like their talent being fifth, sixth round ability, then it's almost like these guys at your lower end of your list have a lot more potential, I guess you want to call it. And with a good season, you can see them ascending up yeah. to the top end of that. Yeah, like I said, you know, with with Imator Behebe, you know, I love his physical skills. Obviously, you know, he he's going to be limited in terms of jumping up the board and uh, what he does statistically. Like there's just not going to be a lot of production there, but I fully expect him to go into the combine, be an absolute freak and jump up to the second, third round. Like, okay. but I think if you, if I had to grade him right now based on pre combine, he's probably a fourth, fifth round guy. Yeah. And I'm sure like that helps the fans a little bit to understand like where we're talking about they will actually get drafted. Cause sometimes we can overhype a receiver and right. we're really talking about a fifth round guy, but they kind of help, you know, also translate to what we see players as. Let's talk about some pro comparisons, Kenny. Like mm-hmm. some, some of these guys, like what we see a pro right now in the, in the NFL, like if we were to translate this guy in college football to what he would be in the NFL, what guy in the NFL can we kind of, I guess, think about like what he will be and who that guy is. So Have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price you'd never believe. They have over 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every time an item starts at $0 and you only go up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that the auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or that item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, Deal Dash is offering our listeners an extra $100 
in free bids upon sign-up on top of their other discounts. Go to DealDash.com and use the offer code PROSPECTS101 or DealDash.fm backslash PROSPECTS101. That's DealDash, D-E-A-D-A-S-H dot F-M backslash PROSPECTS101. What do you think, Kenny? Let's uh, start out with uh, the start with your boy, Micah Parsons, the guy you're so high on right now. Like, who do you think he translates to in the NFL right now? So I had him as a combo, kind of a hybrid comparison, just because I don't think there's a lot of guys like him. When I think of him as a pure linebacker, I had him more in the Luke Keekley mold. I think his instincts and I think what he can do on the field reminds me a lot of watching Luke Keekley at Boston College and what Luke Keekley did at Carolina. But I also kind of tossed in Jamal Adams. Because Jamal Adams is kind of that guy, too, who can get down in the box, rush the passer from almost center field. I mean, Jamal Adams had, I think, six and a half sacks last year from the safety position. And it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, Micah Parsons is a guy who's going to end up with six, seven sacks a year coming from the inside linebacker spot, but then can also drop back in coverage and make plays and be a ball hawk type of player. So I kind of have him in this weird Luke Keekley Jamal Adams hybrid role. He's not quite the athlete Jamal Adams is. I think Jamal Adams is more of a safety type athlete who plays downhill. But I have him more as a Luke Keekley athlete, but a Jamal Adams Swiss Army knife kind of guy. Yeah, that makes sense. It's funny because, like, I'm going to say Isaiah Simmons esque as well, which I would argue my comparison for Isaiah Simmons this past year was Jamal Adams. So it kind of all makes sense. I mean, these guys are, let's just be honest, they're freaks at they're, their position. We're talking about all star type of talents coming in for really, I mean, dude, not to get off note, but like Trevor Lawrence, all world player. Uh, Penny Soul, all world player. Micah Parsons, all world player. We're talking about guys that you just don't see. You see one of these usually every year. There's probably four or five this upcoming year that could be franchise-changing kind of players. It's a good year to have a top-five draft pick. Oh, for sure. Which, thankfully, <laughs> watch. The one year that Jacksonville, the Bengals, and, like, the Redskins, all the teams we root for, watch all of us be picking out of that. This, this, they're going to over. Time. They're gonna overachieve and be, like, borderline oh, wild-card teams. For sure. But, hey, to from I guess for my comparison, I think I went a little bit off the radar here, and I thought Jalen Smith mm-hmm. from Notre Dame prior to his leg injury, if you remember how the, mm-hmm. how much of a beast he was, that linebacker, and how quick he was, and kind of this – that thumper while meeting that, that quickness with them. And, of course, I'm going to mix in a little bit of Isaiah Simmons for every reason you kind of mentioned earlier. But then I, you know, the, the kind of like that toughness, which I don't think any of those guys brings, that's why I'm going to mix in a little bit of Patrick Willis. So mm-hmm. Jalen Smith nice. mixed with Isaiah Simmons mixed with Patrick Willis is <laughs> my pro comparison for Micah Parsons. Did you just, like, if you were creating the ultimate linebacker, I think you just, like, <laughs> created the Micah Parsons should – if he's not taking number one based off of your your pro comparison, <laughs> then the GM needs to be <laughs> I'm that guy that just, you know, instead of play football, just built my guy with, like, 99 everything. Just yeah. jacked up the attributes, put a visor on him, a horse collar, and then some, like, taped-up uh, shoes that's, uh, that's Michael Parsons. Okay, that's what hilarious. about what? Let's go. How about Justin Fields? Yeah, so I have him as a more athletic Aaron Rodgers. Similar size. They're both 6'3", about 225, 230 pounds. But what really, what I really see in Justin Fields' game that reminds me a lot of Aaron Rodgers is just how his timing and his 
improv in his improv skills in the pocket are. Like he's able to keep the play alive, obviously, because he's super athletic. But his foot—it's not just athleticism. A lot of his film, if you want, he's got tremendous footwork, and that was the one thing that really stood out to me is watching him and Aaron Rodgers and how they're able to dance around in the pocket and extend plays. It was very similar, and then just make that ridiculous throw across their body that you, most quarterbacks try and end up getting picked off, but somehow Aaron Rodgers, everybody calls it like, it's a magic. He, look at him. He's magic in the pocket. I see a lot of that in Justin Fields. I think with the accuracy, the timing, and the improvisational skills remind me a lot of Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, which is funny because I used to say Aaron Rodgers is like uh, Russell Wilson, which I think they both have very similar yep. skill sets. And, and I can see that with Justin Fields. I think Justin Fields is a quicker and more accurate Cam Newton. Mm-hmm. And if you remember Cam Newton in college at Auburn, he threw for 30-some touchdowns and only seven picks as well. Let's mm-hmm. not think Cam Newton was just a runner. Like He had great deep ball accuracy, which I think what we saw in the NFL as well, which, by the way, he was an MVP just a few years ago. Yeah. But the recent – not to knock if there is a knock – um, I mean, there's two biggest knocks on Justin Fields right now. One, he's only done it from one year. And you could almost argue he only did it for two years out of his last four because he's, he was somewhat injured in high school as well. So I think, one, we just have to see it on the field more. And then, two, I think we have to see him progress uh, a little bit better in his reads. Like, I think he is extremely accurate. I think he does improvise well. But I think when he has time to sit in the pocket, I think he could be a little bit quicker in his reads as far as how he progresses through that. So that's something that I think is what we see with Ken Newton in the NFL and why he's kind of struggled a little bit as well because if it's the play-action pass and the, his first or second read is not there, Ken Newton doesn't do that well. And that's really where he struggles. So not to say that's lost hope for Justin Fields, but that's one area I would love to see him improve on. And if he yeah. can, I'm telling you, man, like I don't think Trevor Lawrence runs away with this at the number one pick because he's got everything Trevor Lawrence has, just not the – that pedigree. He doesn't have the pedigree. If we talked about Justin Fields, well, the same he's way also we did, he's also not. I mean, Trevor Lawrence is also six six, like two forty two. I mean, uh, that's, for sure. That, I mean, that's a, that, I, I think Trevor Lawrence has a better arm than Justin Fields, not by much, but I think he does have a better arm. Yeah, they're they're very similar prospects as far as running as well too. They both have similar rushing stats, similar attributes from the. Uh, it's almost like Trevor Lawrence has a little bit better arm, just a little bit faster at times. And he's just a little bit taller because Justin Fields is like six foot three, six foot four. He mm-hmm. he runs very well, and he has a very strong arm as well. So it's one A, one B for these two guys. Let's move on to the next guy. This is definitely, I think, most of our top uh, tight end, if not second tight end. That's Pat Fryermuth from Penn State University. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Kenny? Is he baby Gronk or one or what? <laughs> I I didn't. I mean, I felt like that would have been lazy to call him baby Gronk, like to to say, oh, Gronk is his comparison. Plus, I think it's unfair. I mean. Gronk is if in a vacuum. If you take Gronk's five years, he's the greatest tight end who's ever played the game. Like his right. best five years. I mean, he's and that includes blocking and receiving, like all around. He was the best, and 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 so I think it's very that's very hard to do because I don't even know Pat, Pat Fryermuth is going to be. Now, granted, I get it. Gronk wasn't a first round pick either, but Gronk wasn't a first round pick because he had back issues and injury issues. Where if he was healthy, he definitely would have been. I don't know if Fryermuth is that elite. To me, he reminds me a lot of Jeremy Shockey. And maybe for our listeners who are too young, a more current example would be Jason Witten. Like, I think he's got that. They both have similar body styles. They're, they have very, they, they're able to use their body very well in the passing game. And what I mean by that is they might not, he might not be the most athletic tight end in the game, uh, Fryermuth, but he knows how to use his body. He knows how to position it. He knows how to get open. Uh, he's very good footwork. 
And I think to me, he reminds me a lot of Jeremy Shockey. Um, I, I just, I can't go Gronk because Gronk is a once in a lifetime player. And that's very, very hard for me to, to say that. Yeah. And that makes sense. Uh, I don't think yeah, it's tough to complete, to compare people that were the best at their position of all time. Cause these guys, yeah. I don't care who you are coming in from college. It's just tough to do that. You don't ever want to put the next, I'll, you'll never hear me say that's the next Tom Brady. Cause that's, no. he's in a league of his own. He is just in a league of his own. Uh, so that being said, Pat Fryermuth for me, a really good tight end. Uh, I think he's one A one B in this draft uh, with the guy from Florida. Mm-hmm. But I would I would go Travis Kelsey for the for the Chiefs. I think they're both bigger type of tight ends, and I think they both use their body well for being a bigger uh, tight end. He's not yeah. going to run to a four 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 or five forty at the NFL Combine, but I think both of these guys probably run four or seven, but very athletic for their size, and they can both be good in line blockers when needed to be so uh that being said we'll go to another one of your boys kenny rondell moore your top wide receiver in this class who is he kenny yeah so i really like rondell moore i think i think if he stays healthy this year he will be the number one receiver taken off the board and i have him as a percy harvin tyreek hill combo so he's got he's way faster than percy harvin was but he's so for those who hear that and they go, well, aren't those two guys kind of the same player? They're not. So Tyreek Hill has Olympic-style speed. I mean, I think he runs like a 4 He could have qualified for the Olympics at track. Like, Rondo Moore's not quite track speed, Tyreek Hill, but he ran a 4-3-3 in high school. He's got elite speed. I mean, who knows? I mean, you, you take two years of college, three years of college um, conditioning and lifting – he might be sub four three. Now that's a lot of pressure to put on him. I think if he runs a sub four four, you know that's incredible. But so I see him from a speed wise. I see him closer to Tyreek Hill. But from a, from a a receiver wise, I see him more like Percy Harvin, where he's a guy who's going to run a lot of jet sweeps. He's going to take a lot of screen passes, but then he can also get out and run a lot of the route tree. And that's something not a lot of people talk about that Percy Harvin was really good at. He was kind of a gadget player, but the reason he was so successful his first couple of years there in Minnesota was because he was very good at running the entire route tree. And I think Rondell can do that when I look at his film, but you know, and the reason I don't also, and the reason I also don't want to straight compare him to Tyreek Hill is because Tyreek Hill's built like, I mean, he is stout, and, and Rondell's a little bit more slight of frame than Tyreek, so that's why I kind of go from this more Percy Harvin Tyreek Hill standpoint. But I, I think he's a, a cross between the two. Man, that's crazy. How I'm, I'm just looking at wide receivers for the Vikings right now, and how much they have missed on just wide receiver after wide receiver. Like Troy Williamson, remember he had 4-3 speed. Cordell Patterson, remember he was supposed to be the next big thing from Tennessee. And then even Percy Harvin, man, like this guy was like a stud in high school and one of the most highly touted recruits to go to Florida. And he really never lived up. He did at Florida, but not necessarily in the NFL, I would argue. Yeah, uh, I think I think the oh yeah, and a lot of what happened with Percy seemed to be you know he had some obviously some some off the field stuff, and then after he retired, he talked about he had some mental things going on, and then he obviously had the the migraine issues. So I don't think talent was ever the problem with Percy in the NFL because I think you know if you look at his first three years, he did really well, especially because he he didn't play full season when you look at his numbers, but. Uh, when you look at what he did receiving and rushing and, and, and from return standpoint, he was absolutely dynamic. Uh, but then it just kind of fell off the rails. And I, I, So it's important if you're a fan who didn't really get to see Percy or just was looking at his stats and go, well, how can you compare Rondell to Percy? And Percy really didn't have that incredible. There's a lot more that goes into Percy Harvin's yeah, story yeah. than just on-the-field talent. 
And funny thing, I think Percy Harvin's trying to make a comeback. Uh, I know I heard that a few months ago. We'll see how that works out. But I would compare Ronda more with more of a Steve Smith, because I think it's a little bit more down-to-earth uh, realistic thing. Because, again, Tyreek Hill's at the top of this game right now. He's probably mm-hmm. a top-three receiver in the NFL. Yeah. So I think somebody that I think had you know a very good career, some that we all think highly of, and that's Steve Smith Sr. This guy was obviously a very ferocious kind of like – he would talk crap to anybody, and he would fight anybody for that football. Like, this is absolutely one guy I would hate to play against, but would love to have on my team. Mm-hmm. That's probably the same with Rondell Moore. I mean, he's just one of those guys that's going to make a big play after big play, and it might not always be because of his speed. It might just be because he has more will than the other guy, and I think he kind of has that tenacity that Steve Smith Sr. had for the Carolina Panthers. Okay, I have about my boy this time, the guy that I think is the second-best quarterback in the Big Ten uh, to – that will be draft eligible next year, and that's Tanner Morgan, the quarterback from Minnesota. Yeah, so I had I had him more of as like a Kirk Cousins guy. That's what he reminds me of. Extremely accurate, doesn't have an elite arm, uh, but can pl- put the ball right on the money when need to. And, and I, when I look at Tanner, I think Tanner's a good quarterback, and I think he could be a starting quarterback in the NFL, but this, there's just nothing about Tanner that strikes me as elite. And I think he's above average to really good. And I think that's exactly how I feel when I when I talk about Kirk Cousins. I think Kirk Cousins is above average to really good. There's stretches where he carries Minnesota and looks like an all-world quarterback. And then there's stretches like like the year before last where you know he looks like you know maybe we overpaid him a little bit. So it. it I think you've got to put the pieces around Tanner in the NFL for, for him to be uber effective. I don't think he's going to be a guy who, you know, like Aaron Rodgers hasn't had a, a, a guy drafted in the, a skilled position player drafted in the first round on offense since he was drafted. But, I mean, he's made all-stars out of guys like Randall Cobb, Greg Jennings, guys who are later round picks. I don't think Tanner Morgan's going to do that in the NFL. I think he's a guy you've got to surround with talent. But when you surround him with talent, I think he can – more than definitely do the job just like Kirk Cousins. Which is why I exactly agree in the sense of I think he's like Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton was extremely efficient, accurate, and then when he had time in the pocket, he was a Pro Bowl quarterback. And he made the Pro Bowl multiple years, especially when he had a good offensive line there with Andrew Whitworth and a couple other guys, Zeitler up there in front of him, protecting him. Uh, and you obviously add on A.J. Green a couple other guys to throw the football to. I think with Tanner Morgan, we've shown, he's shown that he can be very accurate when he has time. He has a little bit of playmaking ability. Like He has a tendency to be able to extend the play, which I think can also be a detriment to him. There was that one detriment to him is he extends the play and is sometimes make a kind of you know stupid play or a, a bad throw because he just tried to make too much out of nothing when he probably just should have thrown the football away. But very similar to Andy Dalton. I think he has decent arm strength, nothing great. He's uh, more accurate than probably most quarterbacks. And I think if you – kind of like you said, you surround him with the right, um, uh, right t- type of talent, he's, he's going to have a successful NFL career. And I can't emphasize enough, man. I love accurate quarterbacks. I think that's what wins in today's NFL. You can take the big arm quarterback all day. It's just not for me. So I think Tanner Morgan is going to be a good – good quarterback uh, and a probably a second round pick if I had to get a second or early third round pick in next year's draft. Mm-hmm. Okay. How about the glistener of the draft? <laughs> the linebacker that wears the horse collar type of uh, guy that brings his lunch pail to work every day. And that's probably, there's probably only one guy like this in the big 10. That's really forbade him for what I just said. And that's Patty Fisher, the linebacker yeah. from Northwestern. 
Yeah, I compared him to another Big Ten great, and that's Paul Puzzlesny. Um, you know, I, I think he's athletic, but he's not uber-athletic. I think he's a decent linebacker. I think he's a guy who has tremendous instincts, a guy who has a great motor, who's not out of position ever, but just sometimes gets beat athletically by you know, more athletic guys. And I think in the NFL, you can't have enough of those guys on your team who are not going to be in the wrong position, who are not going to make mental mistakes, who are not going to be out of position. They're, and pause if you saw when the game started to shift, especially when, when he was with the Jaguars, he became more of a two-down guy. He was a guy who was on the field in first and second down, and they took him off the field in third down. So I think Patty Fisher's probably going to be have a similar trajectory, which isn't a bad thing. Like, this is a guy – and you know what's funny is the other guy who you compared – I think this is the best comparison we have between the both of us, by the way, because I was thinking the exact same – it was a toss-up between your guy and my guy. Like, Who's that, Cunningham? Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't going to spoil it, but yes. that was. I love Zach Cunningham coming off of Vanderbilt, even though he was, again, limited athletically. Um, but I, I, I see him as a similar guy. He's going to be a two-down guy. He's going to be a guy you see who's going to have a bunch of tackles, and he's a guy who's going to help a run defense very, very well. He's just a guy you're probably going to have to take off the field when the offense goes into you know a, a three-by-one or a four-or-a 40-type four, personnel. Yeah, I mean, he, he is, and it sucks because his – his freshman and sophomore year, like, people were talking about, like, this guy is the next stud linebacker. Not necessarily Micah Parsons type of style, but we're talking about, like, Luke Keekley. Like, we thought he was going to be it. And then we really kind of – because he had back-to-back plus 100 tackle season. Really showed speed, good speed and everything. Like, we thought he was athletic. And then last year, I felt like people just started to expose him and kind of, like, show, like, where he was weak at, and which was pass coverage. And to every point you just said, Kenny, uh, I – and like you said, spoiler alert, Zach Cunningham, I, I loved him coming out of college from Vanderbilt, and he kind of just proved to be what we thought uh, We thought Patty Fisher is going to be in the NFL level. Two-down linebacker, hopefully that's not a dying breed. I think there's always at least one of those guys you can meet on your football team, and I think Patty Fisher will at least make he'll – make, he'll, be, he'll be a good player in the NFL. The question is, with, can he still be a, a two-down linebacker even at this point? Because yeah. the way offenses go, I, mean, I don't know, it might just be one. <laughs> I think he'll be one of those guys where, like, when your team picks him up, you're excited to have him, and he plays well. But he's just not a guy who's ever going to get, like, an extension. Like, he's going to be a guy who signs for one or two years per contract. But then at the end of the day, you're like, wow, this guy's been in the league, like, eight, nine, ten years. And yep. he was never a pro bowler. He was never something amazing. But he's a leader on defense. He makes the plays he needs to make. And he helps, he helps a defense overall from a, you know, a, depth per, a depth perspective and, a, and a, a rotational perspective. Well, Speaking of helping defenses, I don't think this guy is going to be a rotational player. I think this guy is going to be a, a starter in the NFL, and that's Aiden Hutchinson, Kenny. Who do you think he resembles his game after? So I had him as I had him kind of at, at the same vein as Carl Nassib. They're similar size. Carl Nassib is 6'7", 275 pounds. He's a defensive end um, for now uh, Tampa Bay, but he started out with Cleveland. And if you remember, he got his fame on the – uh, what's the show, Hard Knocks, where he's breaking down, like, compounding interest in the on the whiteboard with all the players, and the guy's like, wait, yeah. so I can invest $10,000, and in 10 years it'll be like a million dollars? He was explaining to him how, and, and he was telling him, he's like, dude, I'm telling you. It was it was really cool. It was one of the best things I've seen on Hard Knocks in a while. Cause it was cool seeing a guy who's financially literate. But, I, or sorry, he's with Las Vegas now. I'm sorry. He was with Tampa the last two years. Now he's with Las Vegas. Right. And, again, right. he's a guy, I think, who 
is a great rotational player on the defensive line. I don't think he's ever I don't think he's a guy who's going to be an all-pro a pro bowler like 15 sacks a year kind of guy, but he's the guy at the end of the year you're going to look and go, "Wow, you know, he plays well against the run. He's got great size, he's got great technique. He's not an amazing athlete, but at 6 you can't have enough guys at 67 275 who can play the run and who have plus pass rushing ability. You know, Carl Nassib had six and a half sacks in Tampa, six his first year in Tampa, six the second year in Tampa. You know, he's a decent pass rusher, but he's just limited. He doesn't have the the pass the the elite pass rushing pedigree, which is I feel right around where Aiden Hutchinson is. Aiden Hutchinson's a great pass rusher, but he's not elite. He's a great run defender, but he's not elite. He's got good size but he's just he's he's just a kick under those guys who are freaks at the defensive end position. I think this is a guy who you put in a 4-3 or a 3-4 end and can hold his own. He's very versatile, and I like where he can end up. I think he's a third-round type of guy. Yeah, I think I'm a little bit more high on Aiden Hutchinson. I think he is definitely a second-round type of guy. I think he is a starter, maybe not a Pro Bowl type of talent. I compare him to Brandon Graham from Philadelphia, kind of one of those guys. I mean, I guess another Michigan guy, but it took him a few years, right? And I think Aiden Hutchinson is kind of just now getting and coming into his own because there's so many, there's been so many great defensive ends and like, I guess, edge rushers there for Michigan the last few years. Like Mm -hmm. he really hasn't had, besides last year, the time to really develop this game. And we're going to see that from last year to next year. And I think he's going to come into the NFL and just continue to develop this game with the more reps he gets. And I would not be shocked. This guy is one of those guys that has close to 60 tackles a year and probably six to eight sacks a year. He's just going to be an overall solid player. And I do agree with you, Ken, in the sense of he's a bigger guy, but I can absolutely see him playing either 4-3 or a 3-4 DN at the next level. Mm-hmm. So uh, good player. I think he's probably my favorite uh, defensive prospect for Michigan, and that's that's with other guys on that defense that can be, you know, mid-round picks as well. Yeah. So let's finish this off with one more player comparison, and that's Jalen Mayfield, uh, the right tackle from the University of Michigan. I like this guy, man. He's like a throwback. He plays with a nasty demeanor. I mean, he when you watch his film, he not only like finishes blocks, he makes you pay at the end of his blocks, man. He's out there to inflict pain. He wants to bury you six feet into the turf when he pancakes you. Like you just see guys who who play big and they play fast but they're not necessarily like at that physical or they're not, they just don't have that mean streak. This guy does. Not only does he have the elite size, you know, I think he's six six three twenty. He's athletically gifted. He's probably the best offensive lineman in, in, in the big 10 this year. And he, he reminds me a lot of John, John Runyon, who's a, a Michigan grad as well. And I don't mean that to be lazy, but if you remember watching John Runyon play for the Eagles, he was the same way. He was always kind of named, quote unquote the dirtiest player in the NFL. But and I'm not saying I don't want that to make it sound like I'm saying Jalen Mayfield's a dirty player by any stretch of the imagination. But he just plays with that kind of physical cality, that that the physicality that just I'm gonna just make you pay for trying to come up against me. And I like that from a right tackle. I really do. But he can also pass block very well. Like everything he does impresses me. Is he an elite prospect? No, but I do think he's a day one prospect. And I think he's a guy you put on your offensive line, and he starts at offensive. He starts at right tackle for eight to ten years, and just puts people in their butt all game long. First round, huh? First yeah. round. First of all, so. he's not the best offensive lineman. He's probably the best 
I'd give you offensive tackle, even though you know how much I think Wyatt Davis is the best offensive lineman in the Big Ten and probably the best offensive guard in the in college football. But I'm going to go Lane Johnson. I think really for everything you just said, and I guess props to Philadelphia Eagles offensive line because we just mentioned two guys on them. And, hey, it makes sense because that's a dirty offensive line. But uh, Lane Johnson, really for everything you just said, the guy that plays with a nasty temperament and kind of is one of those guys you'd love to have on your team. I would argue Lane Johnson's probably just a little bit more athletic but you see that you see that with them as well. So mm-hmm. that kind of kind of does it for our player comparisons. I, I think overall it's pretty good. I think we did a pretty good job. Uh, yeah. We definitely highlighted pretty much Pro Bowl type of players. So all these guys are gonna be Pro Bowl players next next couple of years <laughs> when they get into the uh, NFL draft. You heard so, it here first. Absolutely, man. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is finally kicking off this week, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Ory. See what they had to say on what it'll be like playing without fans in a new series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. So now we're going to do a rapid-fire segment, and that's where we ask a question and we rattle off an answer pretty quickly. So, Brandon, we'll start with you. Who's the most underrated prospect in the Big Ten? Well, on the other side of Aiden Hutchinson, we're going to go Pay, the other defensive end for Michigan. This guy's a star. He, had, he was second uh, in sacks last year for the Wolverines, and he was first uh, with tackle for losses. So he had 6.5 sacks, and he had 12.5 tackle for losses. Absolute stud. I could see him being a third or fourth round pick in next year's draft. Yeah, I went with Sidney Brown, who's a safety of Illinois. He's the leader of what I consider the best secondary in the Big Ten, if you heard, listened to our earlier Big Ten preview show on Monday. But – they were also fourth in the FBS in takeaways. So I, I think he's a stud, and he does, and it's criminal that he doesn't get more press than he gets. Uh, who do you think is the most overrated player in the Big Ten, Pesto? <laughs> You're going to hate me for this, man. And it's funny because he's my second best receiver in the draft, and that's Rondale Moore. And I say that from perspective of uh, – Wrong. But, but think about it. Everyone's talking top 15 for this guy. And – I'm sorry, but you only have one year production. And while that was unbelievable, all I can think about right now is John Ross, John Ross, John Ross. You oh, had an un, unbelievable, unbelievable year at Washington. Probably, I mean, dude, look at uh, John Ross's stats. I think he had like 17 or 18 touchdowns this sophomore year. And he ran a 4-2, whatever, 40. Like the guy was absolutely explosive in and in and out. But he kept getting hamstring injury, uh, hamstring injury after hamstring injury. And they kind of – the Bengals picked him ninth overall purely from the speed at the combine and his one-year production there at Washington. And what I'm saying with Rondell Moore is, like, yes, if he can duplicate what he did his freshman year, then by all means he's not overrated anymore. But if he can't and he can't get away from that injury bug of his hamstring, which hampered him all of last year, then it's just – it's something that scares me. And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, maybe day two pick for Rondell Moore, which is why I say he's overrated from the standpoint. He's not a top 15 pick for me yet. Not with this many receivers coming in next year. For one, that are wait, all hold on. for one, if you take even a glimpse at like 10 plays on either film, you know Rondell Moore is a way more complete receiver than John Ross ever was. John Ross was a top 10 overall pick because the Bengals 
who were one of the worst drafters in the last 30 years, took him in, in the top 10. No, what, John Ross wasn't even viewed as a top 10 pick, and then when they took him at nine. Dude, like Rondell, Rondell Moore is a way more complete receiver. Yes, are the injuries a little concerning for sure, but you just take a look at the film and it's clear he was. Dude, the best no, no the- way, man. Go back and watch. I think it was his sophomore year at Washington was one of the best receiving uh, receivers in the nation that year. It's just no one wanted to believe that he could duplicate that with the injuries he kept having year in, and that was in college. He had injuries in college. Yeah, he's also, yeah, Rondell Moore's had one hamstring injury. John Ross blew out both knees and blew out his hamstrings in college. Like, let's not compare him to crippling injuries that John Ross has had when he's only had one hamstring injury. What I'm saying is he's only had one year. He's had one year, man. As a a true true freshman freshman who literally beat Ohio State by himself. Like, it's clear he was the best player on the field against the probably one of the best teams in the country that year. With this many receivers coming out next year, you have a five foot eight guy that's had crazy. one good year. Dude, hey, wait, got, is, all I'm saying this is rapid fire. We gotta go. This is you're right, crazy. Go it, Kenny, I, I I said Chris Olave. I think Chris Olave is a solid receiver, but a lot of the talk about him potentially sneaking into the first round is crazy to me. I, I don't necessarily think he's overrated, but I think he's got a lot of. I think he's overhyped. I, I think he's going to end up possibly being the second best receiver on the team this year, if not the third, which we'll actually get to that here in a second. Um, because that actually translates perfect into best incoming freshman. Now, I have Julian Fleming as that, and I tried to stay away from it because I felt like that was the obvious answer, but Julian Fleming's one of the most hyped wide receivers to come into college football in the last decade. He's 6'2", 210, 6'3", 210 pounds. He's He's absolutely projected to start his freshman season at Ohio State and could very well be the number one receiver on the team by, by, the, by the time it's all said and done. Yeah, and for similar reasons, I went with Raheem Jarrett. It's probably Maryland's best recruit that they've had that I can remember, really. And he was a decommit from LSU. He was mm-hmm. the 27th uh, overall ranked player in 2020's class. He was a five-star receiver. He's absolutely what Loxley needed for – that offense there in Maryland, and it's probably their best player day one. He's going to be a true freshman. <laughs> Next rapid fire question is Ohio State DBU. I say yes. I say no. Well, are we talking like last five years? Are we talking last ten? I'm, talk- I'm talking. I'm talking modern era. So last like I guess what ten, fifteen years. Okay, I, I still say yes then. I say no. I say LSU. Uh, prospect with the most to gain and lose. I say Stevie Scott, running back from Indiana. That's a good one. I'm going to go Trey Sermon, uh, the running back for OSU, just because he's going to be the main guy there. And he couldn't beat out anybody really at Oklahoma. So this is your chance, man. Every guy at Ohio State has gone on to being a first or second round pick. So there's no excuses for you, man, if you don't do, uh, do well in Ohio State's offense. And so to wrap up our show, we asked the question, you know, on our social media accounts, we wanted fans to submit prospects for us to break down. So, Pastor, why don't you take the first one? Okay, yeah. Uh, so, Devin Ford, the running back from Penn State, and this is from an Instagram uh, follower, Alt- uh, sorry, Altister Bradley. Alistair Bradley. Alistair, Alistair Bradley. Um, so, Devin Ford. So, this guy we know kind of from, like, the location of where he went to high school, North Stafford, just right up the street from us because we're located out of Freshburg. Uh, Virginia, so we have a little bit no, we we know a little bit like where he went to school and everything. But this guy, we were high on him in high school. This guy had over two thousand yards his senior year. I remember Michael Vick was trying to recruit him to Virginia Tech. He ultimately decided to go to Penn State. He's one of the best running backs in that recruiting class and in the, the entire nation two years ago. 
last year he did okay. Uh, he didn't have the greatest year, but he was kind of he was stuck there with no Kane. A more probably highly touted running back there as a true freshman. And then you had Journey Brown, who kind of just exploded onto the scene. So it kind of limited his options and his, his carries last year. But him as a player, I think he's extremely explosive. I think he has an unbelievable, like, jump cut. Like, he can just stop and just kind of jump right or jump right mm-hmm. or left quite better than I've seen most running backs do. He shows soft hands from now the backfield. I think he's going to be one of those guys. He's going to be a true sophomore next year. But when he's following his opportunity, I do think he's going to be uh, NFL draft drafted player. Like, he's going to be probably a third or fourth round pick, assuming he doesn't blow up like Journey Brown did last year. But he's going to be good. He's just got to keep fighting for carries. Uh, and Noah Kane is going to be that guy that's going to really impede his progression because I think Journey Brown's going to take it this year. But after this year, it's going to be who's going to be who's going to be. It's going to be a two-headed monster, which it sounds like it might be. But the biggest thing with him that I want to see him do better at, and that's he has a tendency to bounce everything to the outside. But he shows the ability to run it inside. So when you see him cut it upfield and run it inside, and I'm like, all right, this is what I would like to see more of him. Like he shows that he can take a hit, uh, spin off hits, and kind of just make more yards after the hit. I just wish I saw more of it. And I think it's because of his ability to break away from the, at the high school level. Like, he was able to do that and run for 60, 70, 80-yard touchdowns constantly. Like, it wasn't even fair in high school. But when you see it in the college, collegiate ranks, he's starting to get tackled more. He's starting to not break that all the time, even though you see a little bit of his games where he is able to do that because he is that dynamic of an athlete. I just wish he would do it a little bit more running inside uh, the tackle and see him – kind of navigate between the hashes mm-hmm. a little bit better and not break it outside. So Devin Ford, running back Penn State, he's another – I mean, I consider this running back university next year. Like, they have the best running back core in the nation. And it's – I can almost argue it's not even three deep. They have two guys coming in this year that are four-star players that you can almost say it's five deep, man. It is yeah. unbelievable what Penn State's doing there. Devin Ford from North Stafford, he's going to be a player that I think guys need to watch out for. And he's probably going to be a third or fourth-round pick if he continues on the progression that he's at right now. Yeah. I, I think he's fantastic. I love him. I love that he's from our area, and we're definitely rooting for him. And it just goes to show that Penn State owns Virginia now. Like, they get all the – I feel like – because you had your tier, your tier Gross Matos, who went to our alma mater, who was just drafted from Penn State. I feel like everybody around here goes to Penn State now. It's a, I mean, Penn State's starting to just own the East Coast, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if it wasn't Frank- for the rise of UNC, they probably would have started owning North Carolina here shortly, but that all changed when Matt Brown got there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Penn State's pretty unbelievable what they're doing. James Franklin's doing a great job. So the other player that was presented to us was uh, Michael Penix, quarterback at Indiana. And this comes from the college football bros who are, uh, are you know, one of our friendly podcasts. They do college football. They do great uh, things. Get Make sure you give them a listen. But they, they asked us to break down Michael Penix, so I'm going to take that one. You know, Michael Penix is an enigma. He's a guy who I could make a case for potentially being a first-round pick, either next, even as early as next year or, or by a senior year, or I could see him as a guy who ends up being like a fourth, fifth-round pick because he just can't stay healthy or, or just hasn't consistently put it together. So he, he was a three-star prospect coming out of high school. He had offers from Tennessee, Florida State, Indiana. He ended up choosing Indiana. He missed he missed most of his true freshman season because he tore his ACL. And then he beat out Peyton Ramsey for the starting job last year. But, again, he just couldn't stay healthy. He only played six games. But in those six games, he did really, really well. He had an 83.5 passing grade from Pro Football Focus, which would have been the 18th best passing grade had he qualified in the FBS. 
Um, his big time throw rate was phenomenal. He has outstanding awareness. And I don't know if this is a left-handed, left-handed quarterback thing, but if you think of great left-handed quarterbacks, you think of Steve Young, you think of Tua Tagovailoa most recently out of Alabama. They all have great accuracy and great anticipation. And that's another trait Michael Pennett shows. He's a great thrower. Like he's a natural thrower. When you see him throw the football, it looks natural. And I know that sounds like, well, don't most quarterbacks look natural throwing the football? They don't. Like a lot of those guys kind of look like robots because they've had to either alter their mechanics. It just seems like everything he does flows really well. He's a natural thrower and he knows how to navigate the pockets. He's not necessarily a dual threat quarterback. Uh, Obviously he was a little limited last year um, mobility wise because he was coming off of an ACL injury. But he does have good enough mobility in the pocket. He has great awareness. He's able to to extend plays and really and really get at it and really make it something out of nothing. But he's not going to like tear down the sideline and go for forty or fifty yards on a single run either. He's six three, two hundred pounds. He's a little lanky, which is I think played an issue with some of his injury problems. I'm a little concerned at the next level. Is he going to be able to take shots? But at 6'3", there is room to add on muscle. He just needs to continue to do so. But if you look at his numbers last year, he threw for 1,400 yards, 13 total touchdowns, and only four picks with a 68% completion percentage. So he has he has the ability to really get it going, to really get in a rhythm. And, and it, I, I have no issues that he can throw at the next level. I think he's a pure enough passer to where as long as he stays healthy, he's going to do big things at Indiana. By the way, which is not a a program that produces NFL talent by any means. I think the last quarterback that was worth a salt at Indiana, besides Peyton Ramsey, I thought he was – pretty decent, but he's obviously transferred to Northwestern, was Antoine Randall-L, who ended up playing wide receiver in the NFL, and he's personally one of my favorite players. But Penix is an absolute stud, and with a big season this year, he could absolutely play himself into first-round consideration. Um, but at the same time, if he doesn't stay healthy or if he has a if he has continues up the health track record that he's had the last couple of years, I can also see him being a guy like, hey, might as well take a shot on him in the fifth or sixth round and hope he stays healthy or can at least be a decent backup for us uh, in the NFL. So it's it's one end of the spectrum or the other, but his his ceiling is definitely first round potential. Yeah, and don't forget, Peyton Ramsey was a good quarterback for them. Like, yeah. there's already talks about Peyton Ramsey being an NFL caliber quarterback if he has a great season with Northwestern. Like, he led Indiana. Like, Penix didn't do – he was he was injured for a lot of those games last year. And, and Indiana still had one of their best seasons ever because of Peyton Ramsey. Mm-hmm. And without a question, they're just like, well, I might as well transfer because there's no way I'm going to beat out Penix Jr. Like, there's just no way. So the fact that you already have a really good established quarterback there that has set some Indiana records – from the quarterback position, the fact that he just knew there was no chance for him to beat out Penix Jr., I think tells you something. So I agree with you, everything, Kenny. I think the guy has a very, very live arm is probably the best way I can describe it. Mm-hmm. But the guy just whips it around the field. Kind of a longer throwing motion, but I think I just need to probably maybe watch a little bit more game tape on, on him. But just a very live arm. So the biggest – by the way, I have heard reports that he's already added on like 10 pounds of muscle from the offseason. So it sounds like he's doing everything he can that strength – and conditioning program to add that weight this off season. So it's either that or he added that COVID-15, but that's okay for him, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, he's the one guy who can put who can afford to put on the COVID fifteen because he needs to and to be able to <laughs> to really take those hits at the next level. Well, that wraps up our Big Ten preview show. We appreciate everybody listening. You can follow and interact with the show on social media at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Prospects One Hundred One. We're po- we're always posting throughout. Or sorry, at Prospects One Hundred One Pod. We're always posting throughout the week. And also make sure to tell us on social media how wrong Brandon Pastel is on listing Rondell Moore as an overrated prospect. Uh, Listen to us on your favorite podcast platform. Whichever one you're listening listening to on us right now, please subscribe and stay up to date with all of our episodes. A lot of great interviews upcoming, more great content. Make sure to give us a five star review as well. We appreciate those and they help spread the word of the show. And again, we appreciate everybody for listening. I'm Kenny Keller for Brandon Pastel. Have a great day.